Okay, we are recording. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to NIS Podcast Special. We are talking about AAA game developers doing Kickstarters and our philosophy on Kickstarters. And we're going to get right into it with the panel. So first, I am your host, Renegade Operative, and the first person I want to introduce is Daybreaker Rain. How's it going, everybody? The next person I want to introduce is Lama. I hope. Next is Gray. Yep. Graybot009. No A in the gray. <laughs> no A in the gray. I like that, actually. Uh, so we're going to get right into it with the first question here, and that is, let's start off this discussion by answering the main topic of the podcast. Do you think that it is reasonable for a AAA developer to launch a Kickstarter, especially if they have developers who back them financially? Well, I mean publishers. My bad. So who wants to go first? I actually have a lot to say about this because of a recent uh, revelation that we had from a Mr. Tarada, uh, Mr. Tarada, I got that mixed up, Mr. Harada, sorry, Mr. Harada of Tekken fame. So as if, if you guys follow that scene specifically, Harada was actually vocal on Twitter about um, pushing for Bandai Namco to release an HD remastered version of Xenosaga, the entire trilogy, the PS2 games. Well, unfortunately, Bandai Namco considered it and deemed it um, not financially viable, meaning that they did not see that it would make them money. So with situations like this, I, I think it is a prime example of why, in some instances, it's okay for AAA developers to push forward for the idea of a Kickstarter. Because with something like that, let's say Harada, for example, was the one to go ahead and be like, all right, well, you know what? I'm going to put forward a kickstarting campaign to see if people actually want a Xenosaga remastered and get it financially funded. So that way it's no loss to the company. I, I think that that would, be, that, would, that would be perfectly sound because there's a, there's a fan base and a cult following behind that specific series that would want something like that and have wanted something like that for a very long time. It'd kind of be in the same instance if it's like an IP like that's been dormant for a really long time, like Legend of Dragoon, for example. That's another big cult phenomenon in the in the Sony side of things. And it's just, you know, there there are certain games that even with the money that AAA developers might have, they might just not see as financially viable as to backing a project of like a remaster or a port or something like that. So my consensus is is that in certain instances like that, it's fine. If it was something for like, if EA decided, hey, we want to kickstart the next Call of Duty, I'd be like, okay, that's pushing it because they literally can make those and pump those out yearly. So there'd be absolutely no reason to see like a Madden or a FIFA or a NBA 2K, whatever being produced through a crowdfunding. Amen to that. Yeah, no, I'd I'd definitely say that it... uh really depends on the context of the situation and like uh who the developer actually is that's making it because like you know when when you're saying like triple a developers sort of a pretty vague statement like i think that the general consensus is like um the size of the development team but uh it, I'd, I'd say it's a bit, bit, bit of a nebulous thing to uh really label people with it's just sort of like marketing jargon but like i would definitely say that 
publishers tend to be a bit shitty on a lot of things. Um, I mean, Konami, like, treating Kojima the way they did, uh, EA being EA, like, it, I would say that uh, Kickstarter would, like, be a good way to uh, give certain developers, like, the freedom they need to, like, uh, pursue uh, certain games that they would want to make but like publishers wouldn't or would like meddle, meddle with like uh, pub publisher meddling is a huge problem uh, with a lot of like uh, video games and it ruined a lot of games so I do think that for some developers I would I would say that um, it, it is like I, I would say it's perfectly fine for them to do it but i wouldn't i'm 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 never like too hot on like developers will just like pitch an idea for a kickstarter i i don't like that in general when it comes to kickstarters and i do think that there are ways of mistreating goodwill uh that kickstarter is prone to and hype as well um, and I definitely do not want, like, uh, publishers or, 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 like, you know, those sorts of things, like, to see it as basically extreme pre-ordering, where you can just, like, make a profit for a game before you even have to fucking make it, and then it just, you have absolutely no, like, intention of making a decent game, which, eh a lot of them don't really you know and and i think in in like the larger corporate industry profit does tend to sort of like uh incentivize shitty behavior that i don't think would be good to introduce to the kickstarter scene yeah, I kind of agree. Like, that's my philosophy, too. Like, I don't mind every once in a while if a big developer, they really need help with something and they just don't have the incentive or they don't have the will to try to do it. So they want to pitch this out there for fan feedback. And I think that's very important to have this sort of connection to your audience and see what they want and see what they need at the same time. I don't want it to be constant to a point where it's like, okay, we're already paying like 60 bucks for this game. Now we got to pay for it to get funded and possibly it may not even see the light of day. I just hope that, um, these developers know that we do want to complete like full experience. And instead of just trying to like check mark our way through that, they should be using that money and that sort of feedback to create these new IPs or these current IPs to what we want. And um, I, I think this has always been like a thing, gauging the audience to see what they need and their desires and maybe making projects because of it. Uh, that's what I don't like about some game developers out there now, like EA, for example, or Ubisoft. They are so out of touch with the audience that it makes no sense. I, I would say it definitely makes sense to them because they make a lot of money doing it. You know? They, they do. They do. But when it comes to like just making something that's been systematically broken for like the last couple of years and shoehorning in Sam Fisher to be like a side character in this DLC for a game that failed, they certainly do need to um, propose these ideas a little bit more better 
because this is why people freak out and say, oh, they present something. I don't like it. It gets backlash and they're wondering what went wrong. Uh, so it's cool to introduce these ideas and try to get games off the ground. But at the same time, they need to realize uh, they could be doing something better with their franchises and IPs that people do want to see again. Well, I believe it can be a um, kind of double-edged sword in a way. I agree with both of your sentiments that it could be really like a great thing where you can get see the revival of a series. Uh, one that comes to mind that would really love to see the revival of or even just remasters would be Dead Space. But then that's under EAs. So that means that you have to... if. If they open up the Kickstarter, you're going to have to give money to EA. It's a great series, but then you have to give to EA. That's kind of like, to me, could be like a double-edged sword. Like, they could revive. They have the power to revive a series, but we have to come out of our pockets as well. And to me, giving money to EA is like, you know, because they've killed off so many studios in their time. We've lost Visceral. We've lost, goodness, uh, what was it? Uh, Redwood, if I remember correctly. And then they, uh, and then we're looking at Bioware possibly being shuttered as well due to just everything that happened to Anthem. Yeah, I think Pandemic some... as well. Yeah, I think they need some assurance here if they do projects like this because it's like, what is the long game if this turns out to be successful? Like, we, we really just want to know where is this going to go when they do bring this back to life or they get a lot of people to put in a lot of money is it going to stick around is it going to be pertinent we just don't know especially if it's like a franchise or something and they're saying hey here's a kickstarter for like burnout or something we're gonna bring it back guys and then things fall through the cracks and it doesn't come back and then you have a lot of fans disappointed because this idea went nowhere uh so i think that's one of the dangers about kickstarter to be honest but on the uh, plus side, on the plus side, we know that because they're large companies, they have a public image they want to protect. We know that they're not going to fail miserably like others have or just run off with the money. So we know that we're going to get something. But my problem also would be is if their um, if their uh, goals were met. Or exceeded if their goals were exceeded would we the fans you know the backers get anything in return for that what are they going to do with that money if it you know or, or if they exceeded their goal would we see you know collector's editions for those who donated to a certain amount or you know like tears and stuff like that are we going to get anything out of it but at the very least we know that if we give them our money something's going to come out of it unlike other companies smaller companies and groups where people have run off with six figures into the sunset never to be heard from again i would say that that's like uh mm, i'd say that's just part of the nature of kickstarter and just like you know game development in general you're always going to get like people trying to gain the system and i i wouldn't say that that's exclusive to kickstarter itself um i i would certainly say that they're could be you know more transparency like in in the process but i don't know how well well that would work unless uh the 
like user base the consumer base themselves become more like informed or in in you know interested in like the nuts and bolts of the whole thing because as of you know in the in the current market hype and uh goodwill can be abused and often is abused and i wouldn't say that that's entirely the fault of kickstarter but more like uh the the current like system in general right yeah i i know like it's probably gonna be safe for like the last question for me but i just think more just honesty would be nice because I, it's not asking for much like if you're gonna get something then i hope you do like receive everything as opposed to uh seeing things where you don't even receive like certain versions that you pay for and them changing something like um i think there was one there was the whole fiasco with shimu 3 being from like on pc to the epic game store and everyone was confused and they didn't know yeah. and, and when, when you do stuff like that 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 just is going to piss people off like one way or the other but uh is everyone done with question number one before we move on to question number two? Oh, i just wanted to add as well if triple a companies are asking for our money i also think uh, i believe that it was um rain who brought it up i believe we should also kind of have a say in like the designs and what happens not in every step but like this kind of happened with Mega Man Legends 3 <laughs> it wasn't mm -hmm. a kickstarter project so much as it was like a like seeing if fans had like a um had a intro an interest in uh Mega Man Legends 3 and there was even voting and polls for different character designs I think for a kickstarter we should have some type of say like some type of polling where we can uh decide on certain uh things in the game whether that be character designs um area designs bosses things like that yeah I, I think something as simple as like making a poll and making a choice and having people vote on it should be like it's some interactivity that people do want because i mean everyone wants to feel like they're included in something uh so this will be the best way to go instead of just outright the way they handled it in the past where they had this whole open discussion and they canceled like everything under people's noses i think that's the wrong way to go but the right way is like have some sort of interactivity to get some feedback because this feedback could help the game itself yep i agree with that all right so we're moving on to number two if everyone's finished with this one yeah all right yeah so Platinum Games just funded a Kickstarter for the Wonderful 101 remaster, which hit 2.2 million. How do you feel about the success of this project? I never played Wonderful 101, so I, I can't really say, uh, but I will say it always does seem like Platinum had a lot of financial struggles in the past. Uh, so seeing them get like this money for this game in particular, that's great if the game was like just something that people really, really care for. Uh, at the same time, I, I think this was a cool way of doing their new announcements with the whole oh, we're doing like five big things and we're counting them down and we have one where it's like we have the fans who can bring this to life and have this remaster on Steam. So I think that was a nice little choice to have at least uh, the game go multiplat so other people can like play it more often. 
Yeah, I only ever played the demo despite like actually owning a Wii U. But from what I played, it is a very interesting game, and I do think that um, from what I've heard about it, it, it was like supposed to be a very good game, and like in in the sort of crowds that I was in regarding the Wii U, it was very like you know well received and you know a hidden gem sort of. So I I am very pleased that like people are going to be able to like play it on the Switch and. You know, if if it's a good game, which I'm pretty sure it is, like from what I played from it, it seemed quite fun and interesting. Um, yeah, I I'm all for it. Uh, ho- hopefully they'll be able to like translate the um mechanics of the game onto the Switch. I don't know how well they're gonna do that. Uh, but either way, I you know. Seems like a pretty good game from what I uh, played of it, and Platinum Games in general is a very good company, so I'm all for it. What about you, Daybreaker? It kind of goes back to what I was saying in the first question. Um, I had a Wii U for a brief time, but I never got around to playing Wonderful 101, but I had heard from multiple people saying it was one of the better games that the Wii U had to offer, aside from a lot of the... um, first party developed stuff like, you know, the Mario's and smash and all that. Um, and so it, it's, it's really cool to see that they were able to uh, set up a Kickstarter and just immediately just smash the goal, like insanely. And it definitely goes to show like there is a market for that sort of thing. Like granted it, it Like we've been saying, it can be very double-edged sword because you can play off of people's nostalgia, you can play off of people's uh, desire to see something and then not deliver. That is a very distinct possibility. But with in this case with Platinum, I I think they have a pretty good track record for the most part. So it, I am confident that that the people who backed this project will definitely get what they want. And I am the biggest champion for multiplat anything. You know, there are tons and tons of games that if they were released to a broader audience, I think would just expand the fan base even further. And so when you see something like that, where a developer is willing to go the extra mile uh, to make several different ports for this one IP, I, I think that's fantastic. Now, again, that can also be a double-edged sword because we've seen the unfortunate circumstance of stuff like Mighty Number no. 9 and even Bloodstained where certain versions that were promised in the initial Kickstarter were not seen as feasible because of hardware limitations or whatever the case may be. We saw that uh, Mighty Number no. 9, the I believe it was the Vita and the 3DS ports got completely canned. Uh, Bloodstained, it was the Wii U and the Vita ports got canned. So it, it's just one of those things where it's like... Um, it, it's definitely desired to have it multi-plat. But there is the possibility um, that they could not deliver on certain versions of the game. So it's kind of a wait and see at this moment with Wonderful 101. But hopefully, because Platinum, like I said, has a good track record, they deliver. What about I, you, Gray? I'm, for one, I'm very happy that they were able to even like exceed their goal. For the for as long as I can remember, they've kind of been uh, bouncing around with publishers. Publishers, I believe Bayonetta was uh, published by Sega, 
then they then they went to Nintendo with the uh, Astral Chain and I believe Bayonetta 2 as well. I would really love it for them to be able to publish their own games, kind of stand on their own two legs. It would be great to see more of their games um, multi-plat as well because I, for one, want to see their games in 60 FPS, not locked in 30 FPS. Oh, finally, I get to throw my shot that uh, Horizon being on PC is actually a good thing. I support this, 100%. I don't see why so many people went crazy about it, but, you know, I guess that's the internet, so... It's yeah. a three-year-old game, people. <laughs> Holy shit. That's console. That's console wars. It's been going for way too long on it. But it's going to be a thing, I guess. Yeah, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't mind people more people getting their hands on stuff is actually beneficial to the publisher and the ip itself that means that more people are interested in buying this on another platform so i'm totally all for it to be honest the only time i'm like well fuck this is kind of this is kind of lame is that um when they finally put the port on another machine and it's absolutely a lesser port than the other one I kind of don't like when the port is botched. Other than that, if it's like really good, like Metal Gear Solid 5, Phantom Pain on PC is like stellar, or like Resident <laughs> Evil 3, I played the demo, it was awesome, then I don't mind. Yeah, there is a concern that when we're going multi plat, that we can, especially for PC, I think it's just specifically uh, PC. We see the PC ports that a lot of them are poorly optimized. They have serious bug issues and things like um i would just hope that if you know we're paying good money for a multi-plat that they're going to do their best to work those uh iron out those bugs and not just leave it to just sit there yep exactly uh llama do you have anything to say about this or uh multi-platform yeah i'm for it i don't own a ps4 or an xbox one so yeah i (laughs) i wouldn't mind playing god of war but i'm not fucking buying a ps4 for it yeah and and the same thing happens with like people um when these games are like online or something like that it's like it's good to play with other people in lobbies just in case the game goes dead on an initial server but I guess we can move on to question number three. So we've seen lofty promises from Kickstarters in the past. A good example involves games like Mighty Number no. 9 promising to revitalize the Mega Man formula. The game ended up being a disaster once it launched. How do you feel about Kickstarters not living up to their promises? Uh, Makes me cry like an anime fan on prom night. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh god, I remember that. And the whole better is it's better than nothing or whatever they said. It was like, oh, oh god. god. Oh lord. That was the worst way I think anybody could have handled that situation, that right there. And then what pisses me off more is that supposedly he wanted to do another IP called Red Ash or something. He was trying to do it like almost a con- uh consect like at the same time with the um with uh the mighty number nine and he hadn't even you know fulfilled the promise of mighty number nine so this dude's looking at another game um i believe a an anime series or a movie all at the same time and he hasn't even finished uh mighty number nine it was very um ambitious for of him i know he was probably thinking that if mighty number nine is a huge success then i can you know build off that you know, my entire company can just 
you know, shoot through the roof, the value of it can shoot through the roof and we can become like, we can stand on our own legs, but it didn't quite work out that way. And I think he was just way too ambitious there. He should have just, you know, stuck to the, stuck to the plan of uh, getting Mighty Number no. 9 out on time and, you know, better than something. Yes, better than nothing. Never say that as a slogan to fans because honestly, they they got all the backlash that I think they deserved. And Kenji Inafune, I haven't even heard from him in like mainstream media like ever. Has he ever shown his face like after that event? Uh, I can't think. He's not off the not off the top of my head. Yeah, he's literally turned into a ghost. But that that kind of just is kind of like we were saying, you know, the a lot of the time and and it's been said probably numerous times. I've I've heard multiple people say it. I've I've watched like I, I think I watched like a three or four part series deep diving into everything related to Mighty Number no. Nine. When you donate to a Kickstarter, basically put you're donating to a dream, you know. So the the promises that some of these companies make and don't fulfill, you do have those people who donate with the intention that they're hoping that that reward or whatever the goal might be is what they get in return for their donation. And like with Bloodstained, like with Mighty Number no. 9, you know, the, both of these games, even though Bloodstained came out looking a lot better in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, it still had a rocky launch. It was plagued by bugs. Uh, it took a bunch of patches to fix a lot of the console ports. There's content that's still not been added into the game that was promised at release. So it, it's, it's kind of just this crazy thing, you know, and then a cancellation of ports, you know, and then that affects the people who, you know, wanted that port. Like now, granted, you know, I, I completely understand from a, a technical aspect, you know, the promises of like, you know, 3DS and Vita ports, you know, it, that's, that's hard, you know, especially now because like the market has pretty much dwindled down with those handhelds. There's really not a player base to support that anymore. But I still think for those people that, that put in for that sort of thing, you should try your best to deliver or give some sort of compensation. I know that in uh, Bloodstained's case, that was the case. I do know that like the Switch version was absolutely unplayable when it came out. And basically, I, I think everybody who donated to get like a Switch port of the game ended up like getting like, you know, a code for like either the Xbox One, the PS4 or PC version. So, you know, they did try to remedy the situation, but there is that risk that you put into when you initially donate to a Kickstarter, you know, and it just, so it's kind of like one of those things where like, as much as you want something, like you can't expect it to be 100% exactly what they say that they're going to do because there might be content, there might be ports, there, there just might not be any support. I mean, Mighty Number no. 9 was bricking consoles when it came out on the Wii U and I think they patched it and that was like that was it like there was no like there was no further updates it was like here's the here's the initial content we're done <laughs> yeah I, I I definitely agree that like when when you're backing a kickstarter you're just sort of like 
looking to fund an idea. You're not really buying a game. It's not really the same thing. And I, I would say, you know, ambitions. I'd say ambition is probably a good thing, but like, I would say you know, with or to game developers like these two, uh, Japanese gentlemen you were talking about that I've forgotten the names of. Um, <laughs> uh, well, you you know they they have a tendency to be you know, imaginative and and ambitious with 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 what they're doing because they're passionate about what they do. But I I think you know obviously. Uh, sometimes when you shoot for the stars, you can end up face planting into the moon, and there's not really that much you can do about it. Like obviously, there's a good way and bad way to handle these things. Like Mighty Number no. Nine, bad, bloodstained, less bad, sort of thing. Uh, you know, I mean, sure you've face planted into the moon, but like try and you know dust yourself off the best you can uh i suppose instead of uh rolling around screaming i th this analogy is is not as good as i thought it was gonna be i'm just gonna stop <laughs> it's all right it's all right man it's just like um i understand people make mistakes I understand that everything is not going to be this ideal 100 percent perfect dream uh, but I think there are like ways they can mitigate some of this with like maybe a dedicated fan sort of like bug testing team. That would be great if people did that a little bit more to flesh out the game. Uh, there's nothing wrong with admitting that you need help for certain like stretch goals or like more elaboration. Uh, because I think one of the main things I see is people, they put something out there for developers and um then they say that you know we're gonna do this we're gonna do it no problem everything's gonna be fine and then it's not and then it's like well it's like either they're gonna cut a feature or they have to cut a corner and say this is not going to be in the game and that's a little bit more disingenuous when it fully comes out and people are like well what the fuck is this where is my port for this or where is um this certain feature that i pay for as a stretch goal so I think people need to be just a little bit more privy to what they're adding in the game. And there's nothing wrong with like getting help if you meet that stretch goal. Uh, at the same time, I, I do want to say that perfection, if they, if people think that they're getting a perfect product, then they're not this stuff, like realistically speaking, they're going to, there's going to be like issues. Uh, so they should take their time, but they should also be honest and open about anything that might get cut in the game or any update at all so it doesn't feel like this is a stealth problem that came out out of nowhere yeah and and to kind of add to that you know we've seen it time and time again even with AAA developed titles like you know you might pre-order a AAA developed title and that's your only investment is just oh i'm just gonna buy the game when it comes out but there's no guarantee that they're not gonna have the same sort of issues that these kickstarting campaigns have and with Kickstarters, it's worse because it's like you're probably paying more than what you would pay, you know, otherwise for a $60 game, you're you're probably putting in more if you're really a dedicated fan. So like there's even more investment that you put in and then to be let down. But like you look at examples like in AAA games, you know, Master Chief Collection, I heard was not playable for the longest time. Like there were several issues and, and then they, 
yeah, input lag, connecting with friends, connecting online. You know, they've they've ironed that out, and you know, even you know, looking at Street Fighter Five for for an example, you know, that that game took like three years to be decent. <laughs> you know, so it's it's definitely something to just kind of be mindful of. You know, even that sixty dollar pre order, you know, could end up being a bust, especially if the game is just bugged to shit or there's just issues you know that they just overlooked and they rushed the game out you know so triple a developers are definitely not um you know are, are definitely not saints in, in any aspect you know kickstarting you know have the same issues you know the game could work fine or it could just be a buggy mess because they had to meet you know a, a certain date to get it out yeah, I think that uh, when it comes to AAA developers, I mean, they have the experience and they have most of them have the track record, unlike, you know, Joe Schmo, who's coming out, you know, out of fresh out of college, like I have the skill, I can make a game for you guys. I think that the protocol for a Kickstarter game has to be different from the typical uh, development of, you know, just a normal development that game uh, game devs do. There has to be a lot more transparency with the um with the backers and fans. They can't just, you know, pull the veil up, go behind the scenes and just put something out and hope that, you know, they're they're gonna be satisfied with it. There has to be um a change, a shift in what they're doing. And they have the ex the fortunate part is that they have the experience uh to do it. It's just that do they have the will, you know, the willpower, willingness to work with the fans because when you get into a subject like that, you know, sometimes things like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Ego, ego, and, um, and just like being kind of stuck in their own ways can get in the way of them, you know, possibly making a really great, uh, title. Yep. I agree. It's, it's nothing. It's, I don't think there's anything wrong with like just asking for assistance from the people who backed because, then you get their opinion and then you're like oh okay well maybe we're we're doing something wrong here so maybe we can try to remedy this issue or give people their money back if you can't meet a particular goal you always want to just be sure to do that if you can't do the possible on that regard yeah kind of speaking of like whatever happened to those programs like i know uh, i know this is kind of derailing a little bit but like sony offered like a beta testing program you know, so you like you actually got paid to beta test. So it's like I I I think that those programs would be completely viable, and especially in the case of a Kickstarter, you know, put it as a tier reward. You know, like I I think that I I do know some Kickstarters do do that, where it's like, you know, you you hit a certain tier and they'll they'll send you builds of the game and everything like that. So I do know that that is a thing, but I think it needs to kind of be a more more of a standard in anything when it comes to Kickstarter stuff. Yeah, I, I think that um, some of these beta programs, they probably got scrapped because I don't know. This is the first time I'm like finding out about this whole Sony thing and um, them doing the whole uh, beta testing. But I guess they scrapped it along the way uh, because they were working on so many things anyway. Uh, either e Even then, it's like, how how is it that they don't do something like this? I understand like maybe it's NDA, so they're, they're like, oh, we're not going to want to have this like game broken to the public or whatever but just going in and testing a game and signing like a release form or something to like 
centers that's close anybody would be willing to take that opportunity to be honest so i, I know i would i know i would too it'd be like it's it's better than getting these game journalists who really don't understand game mechanics but i digress on that one uh anyway we're moving on to question number four so is there any dream projects that you will back regardless despite the notion of question number three list some examples well there's a lot of them <laughs> dead space yeah. for starters if you put out a dead space four i i'm just throwing all my principles away and i'm going to back that immediately but i know it's ea but still i just want it so bad and i i feel the same way about um a lot of lost games in the past like if rockstar did one for bully or something i would just totally be like okay i'm all for this they could be the richest company in the world but i know i definitely want a game like that yeah um you i'm you and me are both in the same wavelength theory even though i don't like uh i don't like the fact that they got in the way of this role during development of two and three and they're um they're pushing of them to try and make you know make these games sell uh, to a, sell to a broader audience when survival horror at the time was kind of like a niche thing it wasn't going to sell like 10 million copies a year at that time maybe now maybe now with the revival survival horror but not now and because of their urging and pushing they basically knocked it off course and we got Dead Space 3, which was an utter mess. And we got multiplayer in Dead Space 2, which <laughs> made no sense and wasn't really all that great. But if we could get back on track and they actually did want to um, do a Dead Space uh, 4, sure, I would probably go more towards a remaster. I don't know because Visceral's gone right, gone right now. I, I don't know if we'll see the same people who worked on Dead Space come make a return. I wouldn't trust if it was a new group. I really wouldn't want to trust my money to it because I don't know really what I'm going to get at the end of the day. But a remaster, I would definitely pay good money for because the Dead Space 1 port, uh, PC port, is actually a mess. And the uh, Dead Space 2 port is also missing uh, loads of content as well. So yeah. I would I would support it. And I'd also support a Mass Effect uh, 1 to 3 remaster at least one to two remaster as well even though it would be from ea yeah i'm like the thing they could do is try to like throw some bait out there and say that yes we are remastering some of these games that people really didn't get their hands on because there's there's still a lot of like ps3 games that still aren't playable on ps4 it's ridiculous at this point it won't be playable on ps5 either. yeah well I, I think they said they don't know if they're gonna put in backwards compatibility or not for ps3 that's sort of like not touched on yet i'm waiting until sony gives like a full confirmation but they are doing a lot of this whole wishy-washy shit and i, I really don't like that I hope it is, but if it's not, they need to get on the bandwagon with doing more PS3 remasters, to be honest. That'd be great to see. What about you, Daybreaker? So for me, um, there are definitely Kickstarters. Like if I if I knew, like if tomorrow they happen, I would I would put down money on them, hands down. Um, Xenosaga, uh, like an HD remaster of the Xenosaga trilogy, would be fantastic. Um, I do believe 
if I recall correctly. I had been told at one point that that series was actually supposed to span five games, but they cut two of the games in order to condense it down to a trilogy. So I don't, I don't know if that content's still kind of like floating around out there, if that was just scrapped content. But whatever the case, um, Bandai Namco re-released the Dot .hack GU trilogy and added a fourth episode to make it a quad, uh, quadrilogy. Quadrilogy? I forget how I pronounce that. But, yeah. oh, you're um, right, you're right. you know, they added in brand new content that was not originally part of that, of that series. So if they could do that with Xenosaga, that'd be great. But even still, if it was just remasters of the first three games... That would be phenomenal. I'd also like to see them revisit the original Dot .hack games, the mm. first four. That would be freaking phenomenal. And it also include those the, the little like OVA anime that came with each game. There's like a four episode anime. Like it's freaking it was really cool stuff. And I, I wish that they would uh, would definitely acknowledge that series. Like I, I think GU was definitely a success. A bunch of people said nothing but good things about the the remaster of the gu series um i'd also like to see it, this one's a little bit more obscure so i kind of want to see a collection of it if anything and that's the gargoyle quest trilogy and that's an old capcom series but it includes my all-time favorite super nintendo game demon's crest that's actually the third game in a three-part series and the two other games were on the famicom and nes and i believe one of them got onto the game boy and it's 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 an obscure series, but it's phenomenal. And Demon's Crest again is is my all time favorite Super Nintendo game. So I'd love to see that as a collection. You know, they did it with Castlevania. They did it with some of their arcade games, and they even did it with Contra. And even those collections, as great as they are, did not include certain stuff. So if like they needed help, like hey, we're going to do a Castlevania collection two, and we're going to include like you know the N sixty four games, like the PlayStation games, or you know, whatever, whatever the case may be, whatever games, you know, port the port, the GBA and DS titles into a collection. I mean, we just saw that with uh, the Mega Man Z- Zero and ZX collection. So it is possible to to make that happen in some uh, shape or form where they could port GBA and DS titles into a collection and people would buy it. You know, so I'd be for stuff like that. It's just, of, of course, it, it comes down to, you know, which developer do I trust more to deliver? You know, I, I think Bandai Namco, for the most part, would probably have my vote uh, on that. Capcom and Konami can kind of be a little wishy-washy when it comes to their IPs. So that would definitely be a uh, a toss-up when it comes to that. But it's stuff like that, you know, just, just remasters and reimaginings or even sequels to these old IPs. Like if, if Sony came out and said, we're making Medieval 3, but we need your help damn straight i would freaking be like oh hell yeah like you know the the remastered medieval that you guys just did is freaking phenomenal and because i didn't know this then i found out through you ren that they included the original ps1 game in the game it's like freaking mind-blowing just like oh my god you can play a ps1 game on the ps4 you know it's just like such a crazy concept but if they came out we're like we need your help to make that i'd be like oh hell yeah you know legend of dragoon a new a new spyro you know a, a new crash game you know something just like you know there, there's just so many franchises that like were dying for new games like the, the reimaginings and like the remakes for like crash you know crash team racing and medieval and spyro they're 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 phenomenal they're great 
but it's just like it, it's that desire that it's like okay well you you like gave us back our nostalgia because we grew up with these games can you ex- you know make a new one you know like just give us something new you know with this ip yep i i think uh the best thing about something like this is having incentive the more they have incentive the more that um people will be willing to like say this is cool we get this whole package we get these collections maybe this could lead to potential sequels by seeing if people want it and i think gauging the audience that is a great thing as well as like putting in stuff like we mentioned which is um classic games and um the other entries because it's something it's something that they don't do a lot and for a sequel to come out or something like that if they put in like an entire bundle so to speak i think that would be awesome because then it's like okay now we can finally play this on multi-platforms on other consoles and we can also play the new game as well so i think that incentive doing all this stuff would be nice to the audience and to the fan base if we get it i agree with that i would love to have had um the classic re's wrapped up within the remakes i think that's something that capcom definitely had a golden opportunity to take advantage of but they didn't because we don't really have um proper we have pc ports for those games but not really more modernized ones for today's hardware yeah and we also don't have those games on anything else but the original hardware and we have them on like um what is it i think it's on psn ps3 like i'm talking about like just digital stuff that you can buy yeah it's like that that sort of incentive would help people um play those games and even get caught up to speed with how the originals were before this new game drops so i I don't know why they don't take like advantage of this yeah i just want to go off course a little bit just a little bit but yeah i get a lot of friends who come in and ask me where should they start in the resident evil game should they even play the classics and because capcom's not including these within the games uh people are just having to resort to all kinds of you know emulation they're having to resort to trying to because some of them don't want to emulate they want to find the actual copies they're trying to pay exorbitant amounts for a copy for like you know a ps for a ps1 copy or uh, what you know whatever uh platform it's on by doing that they could save their fans so much trouble and so much headache and they could also add in maybe features that weren't available in the original like um for resident evil ds we actually got the quick turn and we also got the knife on the shoulder button instead of it being like a held item which you know that's something that all of the classic re's could benefit from greatly uh, and I'm Lama, going off course yeah it, it's cool i just want to get llama's opinion on this since he hasn't gone yet well uh dream projects right yeah yeah, yeah. uh oof. uh all right uh open world superhero game with destruction but the main character is played by danny devito i would back that in an instant. <laughs> <laughs> this man's got ideas it'll uh, be a strange experience but i will play it nonetheless but in all seriousness do you have any serious answers for this oh well uh like uh, to seek like for pre-existing games and stuff like that yeah uh i mean i would probably i would probably back a um a kickstarter for a third tack of the power of juju that was that was uh 
quite an interesting like uh, series of 3D platformers, uh, and, and also probably one that's more suited to Kickstarter. Seems though I don't know if it's very well known. Uh, but they they were actually like you know very good uh, 3D platformers back in the day, uh, like n not um, sort of old old school. So uh, you, you know a, a new one would probably like you know not necessarily have the same problems as ukulele or something like that. But uh, I I think that uh, you know you know it's also in a genre that you don't see as much of nowadays. And I you know I would I would probably back something like that. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of thought that Crash would bring back the resurgence of the 3D platformer, but it really hasn't, in my opinion. It's like still good platforming games out there, but if I could, I would try to get some more of those going because I'm amazed that um, it's still mostly like 2D and no one's really trying to like remake any of those old 3D platformers, like the ones that you mentioned. So yeah, yeah it, if something it, comes out like that, I would totally pay for it. Yeah, I would yeah. say that's more of a matter of scale, unfortunately. It probably uh, is. Yeah, like the sm smaller studios aren't necessarily going to have um, a, as easy of a time making uh, a 3D platformer as opposed to a 2D platformer. So just I one agree, of those yeah. things, really. Daybreaker, you were saying something? Yeah, and it, kind of like what you were saying, it. It, it, with the Crash Insane trilogy, it did lead to the CTR remake, which is phenomenal. But you're right, we haven't really seen, like, we haven't gotten any news of, like, oh, we're going to bring Crash back, like, legit now. We're going to make, like, a brand new game. Or, you know, we haven't seen any developers really try to, like, jump on, oh, hey, people still play these styles of games, so maybe we could make something in the similar vein and re, you know release it to the public and you know people will actually buy it if it if it had a very similar nostalgic feel to like how crash or you know how any of those action platformer games played back in the day yeah it's like we we've seen it with they did try with spyro but we haven't seen it with stuff like you know gags or stuff like rayman oh. especially fucking rayman because ubisoft has not made a game since legends i believe for that one so I do like Rayman Origins and Legends, though. Those are really good games for, for what they are. That is a series I have never played, and that is why I, I kind of wish that if it was anything they could bring back, like, even more often, it would be that. But, yeah, but uh, I, uh, I think I think Square, I think they're the ones who own, like, all the Eidos Crystal Dynamic IPs. So, uh, hey, Square, uh, whenever you get bored of Final Fantasy, which you won't. I know you won't. Uh, but uh, could, could you release a new Gex or, you know, put the three games in like a collection and then put that on like Switch and PS4 and, you know, Xbox One and PC? Like that, that'd be phenomenal. You know, they're fun games. I, I, I think there's probably like red tape and royalty shit with the voice actor who played Gex, I'm, I'm sure. Or, or I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he'd just be like, you know what? That's cool that my shit is out there. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> just I, do it. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, uh, yeah, that'd be great. I, I think it was one of those weird things. Small side tangent, but I think it was one of those weird things where they were kind of like, oh, we're going to like allow third-party developers to work with some of our stagnant IPs. 
which would include stuff like that. Cause like Microsoft did the same thing with rare. I think they were like, Oh yeah, we're going to let third party developers like look at some of our rare IPs and like nothing's come of that except like rare replay. That was like it. And then the new KI of course, but yeah, it's weird that like these companies say that and then they just don't, you know, or maybe just, maybe there's not a third party developer who wants to try, you know, I don't know. Get on it though. We, we need more revitalizations. <laughs> I, I, I would like to add on top of Square, hey Square, give us a Parasite Eve remake. You guys gave Final Fantasy 7 like the golden treatment, the royal treatment. Give Parasite Eve it. It deserves it. Give it something. I'll give you guys the, the money out of my wallet, in my sock, under my shoebox, in my shoebox as well. Just get it made. It's, it's one funny thing that I need to say about that. Like, they did say they wanted to do it, and they know that it would be a sort of a divine interest in bringing it back. But I just hope that it doesn't turn into those statements that Daybreaker was talking about, where it's like, we just say something, but we never follow up. That's one thing I hate about yeah. some statements game developers make. It's like, we throw it out there when we know you want it. We know you want it really, really bad, but we're not going to give it to you and we just forget about it. I just think that's dumb, to be honest. Yeah, don't be a Valve, basically, with Half-Life 3. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> or or yes. Capcom. Don't be a Capcom and get everybody, like, it's happening and then say, no, 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 there wasn't enough interest. See you guys later. Oh, you mean uh, Darkstalkers? I think that was one of them. Mega where Man like, Legends yeah. 3, actually. Yeah. yeah, Legends 3, Darkstalkers. And then the, they came out and um, confirmed that like they're not working on a Dino Crisis, right? Like a Dino Crisis remake? Because like, I know that that was one of the big rumors going around with all the RE remakes this that are happening. News to me. I'm yeah. actually sorry that didn't happen. Yeah, they said they're not working on it like right now, but it's like, you know, just... Uh, this is the thing if you just even say it you know and you know that would like reinvigorate fan interest into the project i know dino crisis has been dead for like 20 years but it's <laughs> still it's still something that people like jurassic park movies are still making like one billion dollars i don't see why the stars won't align there i think that they if they did do a um dino crisis it's definitely going to be after they they're done with their major re titles and maybe they want to go off and do side projects that's my theory but i've been off before with capcom because capcom is like almost an unpredictable beast i can never really get into their head like what are they thinking and what are they going to do next because resident evil 3 remake was a complete and utter surprise for me to come out the next year after re yeah, I, I would say also like just expect the unexpected. You never know what's going to come back or not. So as long as we're still getting surprised, that's all that matters. But if you keep doing sequelitis, then it's just beating a dead horse. Yeah, for sure. But I think we're going to move on to question number five, which is going to be real quick for me. So is is it within reason to delay Kickstarters for the backers despite the proposed date of the completion for said Kickstarter? Uh, so this means like delaying it back further. And I think that's perfectly fine. Like to me, this is the same philosophy I have with like delays, to be honest, it's like, take your time to work on the game and make it the best you possibly can. I understand if it's like waiting for way too long, like 
six or five years but uh i i think baseline game development should take no more than three or four years to do even if it takes extra then that's just more polished so i would say delay it until you make the best project and put all those stretch goals that were met in there and hopefully we have a good game that comes out yeah i i, I agree oh we, i'm sorry where are you going no no you can go <laughs> So I agree as well with the um, industry being more transparent about game development and the uh, consumers learning about crunch and everything like that. Um, Now we understand just how much stress game development can be, how much hard work goes into the games. And knowing that it's fine if they have to take more time out. Maybe they don't want to work their employees like 10 or 12 hours a day you know, not being able to go home to their families, working themselves into bad health. We don't want that. I, I don't think I would want to play a game that somebody worked themselves near hard to death. For. I mean, I guess we have to because they don't really see, you know, any reward if they don't. But I would prefer if the uh, dev dev teams did not have to work themselves to death just to get a game out, you know, on time um, before deadline. In this case, they have, I think, a little bit more freedom if they're if they're not having a publisher hovering over their head, you know, urging them on to get the uh, project done as soon as possible. So there should be more freedom and flexibility. Yeah, I I definitely have to agree. Crunch is fucking awful. It's just a shitty business practice. And quite frankly, if if you have to delay a game to avoid it, like, well, just to not do it in general, like, yeah, that that's fine like you know shit happens sometimes as yeah. long as there's communication i think the most important thing there as well is communication if we're not like hearing things from them for like weeks months then it's bad and then that delay looks more and more like they're going to run off with the money they're going to cancel the project anything could happen at that point so they have to keep you know they have to have some we have to have some type of reinsurance from even them even if it's just a bulletin board like it's not even that hard like uh, even if it's just like a twit longer or something saying hey uh here's an update we decided to put some artwork in the game we want you guys to appreciate it here's a couple of screenshots it's like that's not even really hard to do to tell people what's going on instead of being like dead silent because i think silence causes worry and once that happens then people are going to get very skeptical and upset so you're going to want to try to please your audience and just let them know like hey we're still going we're just on vacation when we come back we'll work on the game more uh it's not hard to do with social media these days and how quick a post can get out there i don't understand why in some situations that is not utilized i've seen games go like cold turkey immediately and they have not said anything until it finally released and i think the worst thing is the stealth releases that has been seen on kickstarter where it's like yeah we had this update from day one and now it's just out and everyone's like what the fuck well we didn't get any alert or anything so uh i i think just letting people know what's going on is nice yeah i i definitely say that transparency and listening to player feedback are just generally you know good business practices for game developers i would say that uh there are some fringe cases where i could understand uh game developers not like you know interacting a lot with them 
Oh yeah, uh, not like all the time. Like I, I do understand players. that time is valuable to be taken on the development of the game. It's just like maybe every once in a while, maybe once a month. Like that's that's fair to know something is in development and you get one update or like once a month, twice a month. That's easy. I wouldn't even say just that because like especially when you know game you know gamers can't aren't always the nicest people oh yeah so yeah so like say say for example with no man's sky uh when, when it came out you know the game was bad it, it wasn't good and they had massively over promised which was obviously shitty uh but I I think that their reaction to it was probably a, a decent one where like uh you know, just work, no interacting with fans, you know, just working on, you know, get, getting shit done. Cause sure you want to be listening to player feedback, but when player feedback is telling you to fly into the sun, it, it's not really useful. You know, you need constructive criticism to listen to, and, you know, when that's getting drowned out by fucking epic gamer moments, then you just... It, it's it's not really uh, productive. So I, I can understand in certain cases why, you know, you know that being a preferable option but I, yeah in general just i i think the this situation is all very dependent like i i understand what you're saying but i also understand that if amongst all this screaming in the void a developer sits down and plays something and they understand that like oh this is actually a bug or a problem then if people complain about something in mass and it's actually like a legit criticism in the game then i do think they should take that opportunity to fix it i also think that yeah what you're saying is true that some people they like to be very outspoken and what they say on forums about how something is absolutely trash just based on the trailer you got to take those people like face value you can't you can't just say oh this guy is saying this and it's totally untrue you, you got to take it at face value yeah, I pretty much agree with the sentiment. I, I think transparency is key uh, when it comes to the development cycle. I think letting people know, you know, monthly updates, I think, is a, a great way to go about that. You know, dead si I agree completely with Ren. Silence does breed worry because it's like, you know, you go for months on end without hearing any sort of, you know, even just a little tidbit update, then you start to wonder, is this really going to happen? I, so I think one thing also, too, that I don't necessarily know if this is something that can be implemented in the industry, but I think when it comes to Kickstarters, I think you should be careful about announcing a potential release date. I think you need to be absolutely sure that you can meet that date. Like, if there's, like, any discrepancy, like, two months out, I think, give some forewarning and be like, yeah, this date's not happening. And and we've seen developers be a little bit more upfront with that recently, which I'm happy. You know, like, Final Fantasy VII Remake had to get delayed. You know, uh, Cyberpunk got delayed. So I think that is better approach because people will be more understanding if you give them more time to understand. Like, I completely a little bit off 
tangent uh, just a bit, but when I worked at GameStop, when Mortal Kombat X came out, you know, it was literally like, I, I, I feel it felt like like a week or two before it was supposed to come out. And it was supposed to come out not only on PS4 and Xbox One, but it was supposed to come out on PS3 and Xbox 360 at one point or another. Well, the PS3 and the Xbox 360 version, like two weeks before the game launch, got canceled. Like little to no warning. It was just like, yeah, this isn't happening. So I can't tell you how many people came in and were just so dejected by that situation, you know, canceling their pre-orders, just being like, you know, I've had this pre-ordered for like, you know, like a year now, you know, like since the announcement of this game being made, I've had this pre-ordered, had it paid off or whatever. And and now they just, they just straight up cancel it. You know, it's not even like they, they did it in like an efficient manner. It was literally just sudden, you know? And so I, I think that that's, that's something that the industry should really get away from and they should really be more upfront and just, you know, like if any sort of discrepancy is going to come along the way, let your consumers know, because they'll be way nicer about it in the long run. All right. So I'm back from grilling a dog sandwich. Uh, sorry about that noise in the background. Uh, enough for the rest of us. Yeah, but it's all good. So we're going to move on to the next question, which is question number six. How do you feel about stretch goals that aren't met, which means that piece of content, that proposed content won't be in the game? Uh, it's I mean, if the game is still being funded at that sort of target price, then I understand sacrifices have to be made. It sucks that all that stuff won't be in the final version, but at least they are still continuing on with their vision and if it's like fully successful if it does well if it's the game that you want it then of course that means dlc so it's not like the worst thing in the world it's just like something that blows over immediately because it sucks and then you're like well i got the game so overall i got what i wanted yeah I, i'd say you know it, it's just one of those things i mean stretch goals are in generally are generally there to like you know be something that is possible but not essential to the main game so like uh you know voice actors or an extra like costume for your main character or whatever uh it, it's it's you know i i'm perfectly fine with it because like you know at the end of the day it's something that's you know, it's extra content for your Kickstarter doing better than it, it would. Like, you know, if if your Kickstarter does better than it would, obviously you've got to, like, uh, expand your original uh, scope of the game in order to, you know, uh, meet the extra, you know, use the extra money. You can't exactly just be like, eh, okay, I'm still going to do the original game but thanks for the extra 200k or whatever so yeah sure stretch goals are fine but like not me to get it's just one of those things like you know if you didn't meet the if you didn't meet the stretch goal then you just don't have the money to do the extra stuff you know, what, what are you gonna do yeah it's just like an extra bonus like some of them are very enticing from what i saw at the same time it's like i i would rather them get their target goal 
than to say well we're just not going to be able to fund the game at all if it's something i really like that's how i feel about it it's just like a little bonus a little perk at the end that says if more people donate here then you'll get like boss rush or all this other extra stuff that's pretty cool in concept but at the same time it's like it's not really warranted as a as opposed to getting like the final game out there for people to play oh yeah no there are definitely like uh stretch goals but that haven't been met where i'm like oh that sucks yeah. especially when it was a wii u port because that was like when i really paid attention to kickstarters so yeah like you know if there's a stretch goal that you meet uh, that, that you want to see happen and it doesn't then that does suck but you know you know like i said it's just it's just one of those things yeah it just is what it is what yeah. do you other guys think yeah, you you gotta be realistic. I mean, you can't expect them to add the content that would, you know, require more manpower, more resources. They'd be just losing money rather than gaining anything out of it. And sometimes not meet, meeting those stretch goals, in my opinion, can sometimes be a blessing in disguise because sometimes, I mean, we've already covered it multiple times. Sometimes these uh, Kickstarter projects just get overly ambitious. They sometimes get funded uh two to three times more than their goal and they still are incapable of delivering because they were overly ambitious and just tried to shoot for the stars and what was the term hit themselves like bopped bopped right into the moon um but yeah it's just a i just rather them focus on the main game and yeah if they reach stretch goals that's amazing but if they don't, I don't believe it's the end of the world. It can always be done in a sequel. It can always be done as um, DLC later on down the line. Yeah, I agree. It's all like save it for later content if they don't hit it the first time. I think my only small contingency would be it would depend on like what the content is. If it's something that's not vital to the core experience, like you're not going to be missing anything if it's not in the game uh, i think that then it's not the end of the world and you know as we've said dlc is a thing so that is a possibility that some developers can look at in the future if it comes to some of this cut content um it, but it, if it was something like we're gonna add like five more areas you can explore or whatever and they're and they're just like no we're like if they meet that goal and then they don't deliver then i think it's kind of like you know that also kind of goes into when is dlc a bad practice because it's like they could offer that as part of the core game but then say oh well we can't do it but then you know a year or two later after sales have been good when the game hits the market it's like oh yeah those five games we promised you know like those five 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 levels excuse me you know those five levels we promised that were going to be in the original game. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna charge you, you know, ten dollars in DLC for it, or you know, you buy our twenty five dollars season pass. So it's kind of you know, it just depends on what the content is. Most of the time, if it's something that's just a little bit of like a bonus, like an extra or like cosmetic, you know, that's not too bad. But if they're promising like the core experience would be completely different if this content was in the game then that's when it's like, okay, yeah, that's kind of, you know, you should have delivered on that as opposed to being like, yeah, we're not going to do it, but then we're going to do it when it's, you know, financially viable for us to put it out as DLC. Yeah, that's 
that is a bit finicky it's like taking advantage of people's um trust in them so to speak like also saying that like this is a way to extend the game and make a very compelling and like interesting area and since it's a stretch goal it's like since they take it away and then they put it back later it's like well I think they'll run into that problem where where people are like they should have put that in the game to begin with because it could have added more story context it could have added more replay value it could have added a little bit more uh, since it's missing it doesn't really add all of that but the game was successful anyway so it kind of like just takes a little bit out of people's pocket so to speak and it also takes away out of their experience So anyone else want to go on this before we move on? I think I'm good. Yeah, I don't yeah I'm good. Anything else to add? Okay, so... Uh, I agree with all of you. <laughs> how, how do you feel about Kickstarters that get major backing from a big-time publisher well after fans have donated? Do you think this information should be prior knowledge or not? How could it be? Uh, I think this happened, though, with... Uh, off the top of my head, I... Didn't Deep Silver publish Shimu 3, or am I mistaken? Oh, uh, I, I don't know. And then it happened again with, um, a Chinese developer hap- They, like, they kind of helped out, uh, Shaq Fu, The Legend Reborn? Like, people didn't know that it, it got funded by, like, another big publisher until later. So it has happened like on two occasions. So what do you think about it? Mm, I mean, it's hard to say really. I mean, you know, if if I suppose it like you know gives you more security that the game is probably going to come out because uh, you know you've got the extra funding from the publisher and uh, the say resources that they have um and obviously you know now that now that you've got like a big investor like a publisher uh the developers are like you know under much more of like an in incentive to um you know finish the game uh but you know at, at the end of the day i'd say that you know it still carries you know the same problems that all publishers have depending on the publisher obviously i suppose it would i'd say uh but yeah like you know it, it i suppose you could uh like they could say that you know maybe the developer like gets approached by the publisher they could say oh we've been approached by this publisher and then listen to fan feedback like mm. you know, I, I say um, a, a, a developer gets like you know a very successful Kickstarter um, in the uh, like you know with a survival horror game, but then EA comes along and he's like, "Hey, we want to publish your game, mate," uh, and they were like, "Okay, guys, everyone." Um, uh, EA says that they, they won't publish your game. Uh, what, what does everyone think about that? And then, you know, they're like, <laughs> you know what happened to Dead Space 3? Come on. I think there should be yeah. a catch to this stuff. Like, I don't necessarily mind them getting backing or assistance from publishers. 
the problem is that I don't want these publishers to come in and they have their stomping grounds and they're like, well, we, we gave you a little bit more money. Now we want to take creative freedom away from you. I think that's when it's time to start getting really worried about that concept. If they don't, then I, I really don't think it's a big deal. I just think that it's like you said, it helps the game come out a little bit faster just as long as they don't rip that freedom away from people or they take away goals that were offered and that people paid for just because they have a little bit more clout and power to them. I, I think that would be very, very disrespectful to the people who pay for it. Yeah, the problem is, is that not every company is going to just have goodwill and just want to help the, you know, developer just develop the game, you know, and get it going. They're going to want to have a say in the um, development process. They're going to want to have a say in the release date. They're going to want, you know, more um, more authority over the developers. And I don't already, I don't like that. If I recall, um, that almost happened with my number nine, where Inafune um, considered uh, Capcom. I don't know if Capcom actually reached out to him, but it was a possibility and what would have happened to my number nine would have been it may have been just another you know Mega Man game. Not that Mega Man games are bad. I mean, you guys see my profile pics, so you know I don't I don't dislike them or anything like that. But it would have just been possibly you know another Mega Man game, and we would never have gotten to see the Vision. Although the Vision, I mean, looking back looking back now, maybe it would have been better if Capcom had stepped in and like yeah. well slow slow your slow your road dude okay <laughs> one thing at a one thing at a freaking time okay um but i think that there has to be transparency if a publisher is coming in and funding a project cuz we have to know what are their terms are they going to have the rights to the game as well you know like if they release the rest of the series going to have to be you know under them and we're going to have to they're, the um, devs are going to have to go by what they want to do at that point then it feels kind of like you've just been like kicked to the curve like thanks for the money now now we're with the big dev and we know we're going to make money and we can kind of you know we can do whatever we want we don't really need the fans anymore when you want to see the dev you know kind of release their dream you know create their you know release their creative dream and you you know you're a part of it and everything like that you don't want to just see a dev come in and alter it you know take over and pump the uh fans out if you guys get where i'm coming from and sort of that um emotion when you're uh giving money to a um company for a dream yeah i i pretty much agree with that it it can be a good thing uh especially if a kickstarter doesn't it's successful but doesn't necessarily meet a lot of the stretch goals for a um a third party to come in and be like hey we'll 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 give you this much money to put into the project you know but like we've been saying it's it's possible that these companies that offer that might want more in return than just it's an act of good faith you know so it's definitely something that i think uh, developers should be upfront about and you know tell their kickstarters that hey we have this potential deal on the table this is what's going to happen um but i think it's also a kind of a duty on the developers end 
that their creativity and their ideas and their dreams should not be bought by a AAA developer or a, you know a big financial backer. You know they should fight to ha- to remain you know independent. You know as a way where it's like if you want to invest in us, this are, these are our terms. You know this is how it's going to be. We're not going to give you this like 50, 50 split, or we're not going to give you complete creative control or direct, you know, where you could just do whatever you want with our IP. We, we want to retain that as, as much as possible. Yeah. No, this, you've got to be really fucking wary of publishers uh, and, and like big financial backers in general. Cause like, you know, at the end of the day, they're gonna be there because they've noticed that the Kickstarter is popular and uh, they think that they're gonna make money off it. Uh, which is, you know, ob- obviously conflicting in- interests with what what the Kickstarter backers are there for, and they're the ones who gave you money in the first place. So you can't exactly just uh, uh, go up to them and say, like, uh, "Bye, guys." Satan's offered us like a load of money to. Help, you know, uh, finish the game. So yeah, we're off to hell. See you later. <laughs> yeah, the 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 dev team just goes off, uh, with right off into the sunset with your money, never to be heard from again. Yes, with VA, yes, they will probably not be heard from ever again. Oh man, it's it's like yeah, definitely have some precaution when uh you see something like this and you know, just make sure like if you just see something strange where it's like things are getting drastically changed, I think a person should logically pull out cuz that's just a load of bullshit. But yeah, didn't, I, hasn't that happened just uh, sorry to interject, but hasn't mm-hmm. that happened with the freaking alleged sequel for Psychonauts? I, you know, they keep talking about that game and I have not heard anything about it. I just heard them announce it and then there was like some stuff with Tim Schafer and then nothing crickets. I, I've heard absolutely nothing about that game, but I think they do have a publisher now. But the question is, when is the game actually coming out? Because I don't think they ever said anything about a release date that's like solidified, to be honest. Right. But I guess we can move on to the final question. So to close off this podcast, what are some principles that you would keep and negate to make Kickstarters flow better in the future? I think we said it a million times already. More transparency, less getting fucked over, um, and definitely meeting the expectations of what is expected of you when you create these stretch goals and they are hit. Those will be those will be my top three, to be honest. Yeah, mine would be communication and me coming from uh, not to like uh, flaunt or anything. I don't think it is a flaunt, but I come from the uh, financial industry and transparency is so very important when you're handling other people's money. So I think that we definitely have to see some type of shift in the Kickstarter, um, wherever you want to call it, when it comes to Kickstarter projects, we have to see some type of shift in what the uh, what happens with the development process and how developers are letting um, their backers know what's going on with the game. 
and what can they expect and when can they expect it. I think that that's a fair, you know, expectation when you're giving somebody your money. And then um, I just think that they should definitely let their creative, uh, their creativity flow. Don't be afraid because I think that too often we see games um, become, I guess, the games aren't as good as they could be because they were afraid of doing something new or crazy. Uh, we kind of saw that with like Resident Evil 2 Remake, even though it isn't a Kickstarter project, they did have the freedom to kind of do what they wanted, but they decided to kind of keep things um, sort of constrained to what was kind of already in the original game, although they tore some things out. But it would be a shame if you paid, you know, to see something, they, the developers kind of got cold feet and decide to go with the more safer route instead of let, just letting their creativity, you know, drive the process. Mm. Yeah, I would say be good. Don't be bad. I mean, you know, I would say that there are probably principles that uh, Kickstarter, uh, back, you know, Kickstarter uh, developers could uh, follow, but I'd I'd say that they're more universal in general, you know, like transparency with the development process, uh, listening to player feedback, uh, and don't treat your employees like shit. You know, it, it's just good advice in general. To that. What about you, Daybreaker? Yeah, I, I, I think pretty much that covers it from my end too. It's you know, transparency would just make the world go around. You know, don't don't compromise on uh, you know your dream and your vision because some huge you know financial backer tries to step in, you know, and demand it. You know, um, you know, and as well, I I think uh, again a, a good you know it it ties into transparency, but be be absolutely sure you can meet. Uh, a potential release date like to be 100% like that that like you know that there's going to be no if ands or buts that's gonna happen on that day or if there are any discrepancies before that that people are informed well in advance you know because I you know even though I didn't pre-order Mortal Kombat X for the PS3 or Xbox 360 I can't imagine that feeling of just hoping for that type of you know port because it's like you know you can't afford a new console or, or whatever the, the case may be and then just that sudden drop that bombshell that oh that that's just not happening anymore and then it's like you know you've been let let on for for months and months and months without any sort of you know say otherwise that there's issues with the development or there's issues you know that could potentially arise so it it just definitely is something that I think more, uh, you know, more people in the industry should practice. I'd say that was just like the problem with being a Wii U owner in general. <laughs> oh God, I I cried so much, so many broken dreams. Uh, I hear you there, dude. I I was a Vita proud Vita owner, still am, and yeah, oh, no. <laughs> Sony dropped the ball on that one real hard. <laughs> Hello, Dan. You missed the podcast. How's it going, sir? 
You yep. shit. <laughs> literally, <laughs> we, we literally, we literally just answered the last question. Shit. I'm sorry. That is cool. <laughs> nice to meet you, Dan. Nice to meet you too. Well, I guess we're gonna do our outros here. Well, uh, you know what? I'll throw Dan a bone and let him answer the last question. So, uh, the last question was: What are some of the principles that would keep and that you would keep in the gate to make Kickstarters flow better in the future? What are some principles that you would keep and negate? Yes, like what are some bad things that you would remove and what are some positives that you would keep? Probably positives is going multiplayer, that's one thing. And the negatives is like what James has said a bunch of times, don't stick to one console as a Kickstarter because that would that's not gonna sell very well. Mm, um no. What else? A positive, like do do what they're doing with Wonderful 101, add a bunch of extra content that wasn't in the original game. Um, I can't think of much else. Really, uh, some time? Yes, that too. Oh, I, all right, I guess we're gonna do our outros. So, um, Daybreaker, where can we find you? You guys can find me on YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch under Daybreaker Rain. I am trying to motivate myself to start streaming again. It's not doing too well, but <laughs> regardless of that fact, I'm pretty active on Twitter. I will I talk about gaming things and sometimes, you know, just show off stupid shit that I bought. So <laughs> if you guys are into that thing, definitely follow me there because that's my most active platform. What about you, Gray? You can find me on uh, Twitch primarily at GrayBot009. No A in the Gray. It's an E. I just have to remind people uh, of that because I get it wrong sometimes. Um, I primarily... It is, it is wrong. Hey, <laughs> it's not wrong <laughs> in my eyes. It's not wrong in my eyes. Um, I primarily stream uh, survival horror hack and slash games. Uh, right now, I've gotten into a uh, zero damage challenge. I'm trying to accomplish a zero damage run in RE2 Remake before RE3 drops. And I guess if I get that, then we're going to do an entire story marathon of every RE game I own currently. So, yep, that's Graybot009 at Twitch. Llama, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the moment, at Snozztwaddle. Uh, you will probably be able to find me on Twitch again at some point. Uh, I am still on hiatus as of right now, and I, I have absolutely no idea when I'm going to be starting again. Uh, you, you know, due, due to, like, real-life stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I, I am trying to, like, use Twitter more, uh, so go on there and watch me act like an idiot it's good <laughs> Dan your free plug is here where can we find you alright so you can find me on twitter at the dirty dan double underscore youtube is just the dirty dan without the double underscores all right and you can find me on twitter at rent operative underscore you can find me on youtube at renegade operative uh 
projects I'll be working on, I, I don't know. I'm probably just going to be streaming RA3. I wanted to do a review on um, some director cuts to games and uh, some expansion packs and give my idea on that philosophy, but I haven't got that off the ground yet. So just look forward to that as well as Resident Evil 3. All right, so I think we are good. We are going to sign out of this podcast and we will see you guys next time. Later. 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 See ya. Don't do drugs. <laughs> <laughs>